The Pat Kenny Show with Matter Private Network on News Talk. Well, now it's time for our Friday Forum. Uh, we're joined by Kevin Doyle, Group Head of News with the Irish Independent, Owner Bryn, TD for Dublin Midwest, Sinn Féin Spokesperson for Housing, and Barry Ward, Fine Gael Senator from Dunleary, Shanna Justice Spokesperson. He is also a barrister. Good morning and welcome one and all. I want to start with something uh, which only came across our radar, although we heard a little bit about it uh, a few months ago. This is the idea that landlords are looking for sex in exchange for free rent and uh, Primetime Investigates uh, that in a programme last night, which I saw. And we're going to play you a clip now. We hear a journalist, uh, Barbara Suarez, posing as a Ukrainian refugee, meeting a couple at a cafe where they propose sex as a payment. We don't want to, we don't want to seem that we're here just to push you into that. I'm not asking you to forgive my ignorance the way this comes out to jump into bed with us every night of the week. No, we don't want it to come to a situation where you have to book it in either. Do you know what I mean? Like, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And once a week would be great. If it doesn't happen once a week, that's fine. I really don't want you thinking that you're coming down, you're going to be put in a room and that's it. You stay in the room and we're going to be in and out of the room tormenting you all day, every day and demanding things. If we do this, I don't need to pay rent? No, no, no. You have to think of you. I asked the woman if she was going to be directly involved. But are you Well, I would like to be involved, yes. I'm not going to lie about that. I would like to be involved. Okay, so a couple there, male and female, and uh, they were proposing to the undercover researcher from Primetime Investigates uh, sex in exchange for no rent, uh, and the woman wanted to be involved in the menage as well. Kevin? I saw this last night, Pat, and I have to say, you often hear these stories, and I know the examiner has done some good work on this in the past as well, And you kind of assume that they're kind of urban legend. But what you actually saw on television last night, the the seediness, the brazenness of some of the men in particular who were uh, approaching this undercover journalist and the manipulation behind it, the the idea that they were almost doing her a favour by saying that, well, all you have to do is sleep with me two, three times a week. You know, now I won't put pressure on you, but that'll be kind of the average of it. Um, it. It was quite remarkable to actually, when you see it, um, you hear the stories, but actually what you heard there is is kind of extraordinary. Yeah. And in the case of the couple the, that we've just heard, the man said, you'll be everything to me. You'll sleep with me. You'll eat mm. with me. If I go out for dinner, you'll come out with me and so on. It, he wanted to own this person. It was basically, you will be part of the family, but I'll kind of be your boss in that in that yeah. sense of, of how you live your life. You saw it as well? I, I did indeed. And and I, again, I do, I do want to acknowledge Anne Murphy uh, from the Irish Examiner because it's about a year and a half ago she first broke this story uh, and had done very considerable investigative research that put it on the agenda of the doll, which we'll come back to in a moment. The first thing that has to be said is these people aren't landlords. These people are sexual predators. These people are no different to men who are involved in in sexual assault or rape or or attempted rape or coercive control. Uh, This is wrong uh, and it has to be called out as wrong. Uh, And I think what's particularly concerning is we're at a point where rents are so high, rental properties are so hard to get, homelessness is rising. And you have very vulnerable people, often people who come to Ireland from other countries. Uh, there was the story about obviously somebody targeting Ukrainian women because they thought they might effectively be more uh, uh, vulnerable to this kind of course of control. Um, and you have people in real positions of power 
abusing that power in the most appalling and disgusting of ways. Now, when the story first broke about a year and a half ago, myself and other members of the Housing Committee wrote both to the Ministers of Justice and the Minister for Housing saying something has to be done. And it doesn't matter if this is only affecting a very small number of people or a very large number of people. It's wrong and action has to be taken. Mm. There was some discussion between Dara and Helen McAtee at the time. They decided they wouldn't uh, address it through the Residential Tenancies Act. They'd look at it uh, from a justice point of view. Keanu Callaghan, to his credit from the Social Democrats, tabled legislation on this. Government didn't like that legislation, but said they would do something. And here we are a year and a half later. Okay. So Barry. And, and there is there is very, very little legislatively that can be done to stop this. And okay, it should I, be illegal. I was going to ask Barry, me, the barrister here. So it should be illegal not only to request sex in exchange for rental accommodation, but to advertise that because people are also advertising yeah. this on certain areas of social media. Okay, Barry, is it yeah. against the law? What I these think it is actually, and I agree, it should it should be specifically against the law, but even without passing new law, and Helen McEntee has said that it is part of a review they're undertaking at the moment of part four of the Criminal Justice Sexual Offences Act 2017 to look at specifically calling it out. But it is an appalling abuse of power and for that reason, any sex in that context, I think, could absolutely come under the provisions of the current law on rape, for example, because it is not permissible to obtain sex under duress that way. So I think it is definitely against the law. It is not a specific Try to prove this, though, you know, under duress, um, someone needs a home, but there's no obligation on anyone to provide that home except the state, one presumes. So if people swap one thing they have, which is their own bodily integrity, for something that the other person has, which is accommodation. Going into court, I wouldn't like to be defending people in that situation, but I, I would suspect it is a defence. No, I don't that think this it is. is a swap. And, and there, there's lots of case law to show that where sex is obtained under certain duress circumstances. So of, there is transactional sex is one thing. This is not transactional sex. It is taking advantage of a position of power by one party against another. And that person is feeling that they must provide a sexual service. That is not No, but there's no obligation on any person to take up the offer but exactly that is made. The, That's the, why I'm saying but exactly the they point can walk here away. Is, you know? and the only reason they're getting away with it is because they have identified people who are vulnerable, who are very much in difficulty and feel that they need to take a particular course of action. So anybody who does that um, is not doing so of their own free will. And therefore, the, the issue of consent comes to bear on that. And I think it, it is actually a very serious offence. Uh, but you're right. I mean, with any, with any sexual offence, particularly where it's between two parties, issues of proof uh, come into that. But that is the same in relation to uh, rape in the traditional sense. Those cases are proved all the time. And people should not feel that if they come forward, that they won't be listened to and won't be believed. Pat, right. can I, can I yes. just make this point? Oh. Because I, I don't disagree with Barry's point. However, what I'm proposing is actually something a step before that. It should not only be offence uh, uh, for sex to take place uh, under those circumstances, it should be an offence to request sex in those circumstances and to advertise such requests because the difficulty is, and Barry knows this better than, than I do because of his, his work as a, as a barrister, is that getting into court and winning is often much more difficult. Uh, we want to stop people ending up in that situation and therefore the prohibition, and that's why I do think there's a role for looking at the Residential Tenancies Act as well, in that in the same way I think it should be, for example, an offence under the Residential Tenancies Act for, an, uh, for a landlord to advertise a property that's not planning compliant or fire safety compliant. Uh, a landlord should not be allowed to advertise a property and we've seen some of these adverts where they are essentially uh, uh, proposing this exchange or a landlord should not be able to request it. And if those two things were, were offences in and of themselves, this would make it much easier to stamp out before any woman is put in that position and treated in the appalling way uh, that the uh, very good investigative yeah. journalist last night in RT Investigates highlighted. Uh, moving on to another housing story which we covered this morning, these modular homes that were built in Sligo and uh, which are housing Ukrainian families, 
look like splendid uh, places to live. Small, but no smaller than many two-bedroom departments that would be available in the general market. Uh, Kevin, what say you to Mark McSharry's point? We should be doing this for Irish people, not instead of, but as well as doing it for Ukrainians. Well, you would imagine that it would speed up the operation in terms of we hear all the time about the infrastructure problems, the lack of builders. These come pretty much pre-made uh, and, and you can land them down once you have a greenfield site. And yes, obviously, you would have to put the suitable services in place and make sure that they're close to schools or shops or whatever else. So you can't just put them out in the middle of the country. But um, they seem like a very sensible idea. And I think we've been talking about modular homes now probably five, six, seven years at this stage. And there has been small cases like this one that, that you highlight in Sligo. Um, and you're right, they look fantastic. And it's it's really strange and curious, I think, that we've never actually tried this as a yeah. real solution. Now, this has been done under emergency planning mm. legislation, which means they can be there for three years, after which time a retention might be sought and... Who knows, granted or otherwise, but probably granted you would because imagine. of what was on this particular site before. Owen, um, this idea of just building quickly, these were built inside a six-month window from start to finish. Uh, why have we not done more of this for our own people long before the Ukrainian crisis arose? So when Alan Kelly was the Minister for Housing, uh, he actually did in one development in Poppentry. Uh, uh, and the challenge at the time was he said it would be cheaper and quicker and it wasn't. Uh, but that was because it was the first of its kind and uh, uh, families who were in emergency accommodation are nice and settled and living in those properties. But the last government's housing plan and the current one promised action on this. But if you go and talk to the people who run the companies, we've some cutting edge uh, uh, modular, 3D modular uh, manufacturers here in Ireland that de- developed their own product. They made all fire safety regulations, all energy efficiency and building regulations. They have been desperate to get into the Department of Housing to be able to get contracts to build really good quality permanent homes. And they could be for people in emergency accommodation on the housing list, affordable homes. And what they will tell you if you get them on your show is that every so often they're invited into the customs house, they meet mid-level officials, and then nothing ever happens. But is it not the problem that you go in, you've got a great idea, and uh, they say, OK, yeah, there's a site there, we could do this. But now, uh, I know, uh, Owen, that your proposal is wonderful, but under EU rules, we now have to offer it to everybody in no, the EU so because the project has no, a certain so value, and then it stalls. No, so we, we proposed for two years in a row in our alternative budget that in addition to the ordinary tendering and procurement rules for social housing with traditional build, there would be a standalone framework agreement for uh, what's called volumetric 3D modular uh, uh, manufacture. You would justify it on the basis that, of course, not only are these quicker and when you do them on scale a little bit cheaper, they've much, much lower levels of embodied carbon and therefore they're much better for the environment. You could create a standard framework agreement. It could be a five-year agreement and that would allow these companies to scale up. The Oireachtas Housing Committee has done a report on this. Uh, we published it only a number of weeks ago following very detailed hearings with Quilcha, uh, with the Irish Green Building Council, with some of the manufacturers. And some of these manufacturers are public sector companies, some are private. So we are ready to go. We need one thing. We need the Department of Housing with public expenditure reform to have a five-year framework agreement to allow the five or six companies producing this stuff in Ireland to start to scale up. They could do Okay, th- does that mean you bypass the tendering situation? No, you have a standard five-year framework agreement for that type of building technology for X So then they would compete against each other for those contracts? What those companies are telling us is that they could all get on the framework uh, uh, they could deliver a thousand plus homes in the first year and they could all treble their output over five years. So you could be looking at the end of okay. five years. Uh, uh, I see what you're saying. You're saying that it, once you get a contract, there's enough, there's, there's enough that unless you offend against that contract, there's enough you're guaranteed more work. Absolutely. Barry. 
Uh, well, the first thing is that modular housing is part of the solution. There's no doubt about that. But it's not the case. A, I, I don't think it matters for whom that housing is built. But in the context of people who need permanent secure housing, it's very difficult to construct housing and say, OK, you're there for the next three years after that. We don't know. And that's one of the difficulties that, that comes with that emergency planning permission that, that was spoken about earlier. It's not EU rules, by the way. These are rules we've signed up to and they're, they are, you know, the, the procurement procedures in the EU benefit Irish companies trading in other countries as well. So I wouldn't be critical of them and I don't think that's the reason it isn't happening. But as Kevin said, you have to put in place the services. So we can't just, like, there are green fields all over Ireland. It doesn't mean you can put 50 units of housing there if you don't have a school, if you don't have shops, if you don't have bus routes, if you don't have sewage, water, all the other things that go with it. So it's not quite as simple as uh, the, the one in Sligo seems to have worked really, really well. I don't think anybody's opposed to where it can work well like that, but not every site can work as well as that. Okay, and uh, we heard this morning that there's another uh, delivery of what looks like modular housing going in in County Leash, but uh, we'll have to check up on that. Now, this week has been... Just on that, so the Department of Children, uh, to their credit, are delivering 700 units of temporary accommodation for families fleeing the war in Ukraine, uh, and they should be commended for doing that. Uh, There is no reason why, and they've done that exactly as you said in seven months, there's no reason why the Department of Housing couldn't in a year, say, we want a thousand units of similar, albeit larger, permanent homes. And they don't have to go on greenfield sites. I can take you to any number of sites around here in the city centre where we have services, where we have schools, where, in fact, we're yeah. desperate to have people to but live. One of the things you don't want to do is put single-storey dwellings like these are in a city centre location, you, 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 which you, you really don't want you, in the long you, term. You don't need to. So if you look at what's happening in London, for example, or Helsinki or in Krakow at the minute, they're doing, for example, 15 to 20, 20 metre buildings. We do need to change our building regulations to permit that other countries are going up mid-rise uh, high density and that's what we should be doing with this technology um, in our urban centres. The last couple of days news, uh, Kevin, has been dominated by uh, Sinead O'Connor's uh, sad passing. Millions of words have been spoken and written about it and we just want to mark it, I suppose, as the event of the week. I think she'd probably quite be quiet and I say this as someone who's publishing some of those words but she'd probably be unhappy with some of it because she would see the irony in a lot of what she railed against is now coming around her and saying she was right all along. Um, It's extraordinary. I've never seen Sinead O'Connor in concert. I really wish now that I did. Um, Her legacy, I think, is a really, really strong one. And obviously the story is twofold. It's the music and it's the mental health battles. And, you know, her life was full of fame and tragedy. And it's, it's kind of it's one of those strange celebrity deaths, I think, that has caught people uh, because her music was was so powerful. And now in hindsight, and we're brilliant at this in Ireland, I mean, we do death really well, but unfortunately, we're going to canonise her in death um, when she was often flogged in real life. Mm. Barry? Yeah, I think an extraordinary talent, but also somebody who, because of the, the traumas she had experienced herself, had a perspective that we haven't seen enough of in Ireland and was somebody who had both the power and the position to put that out there. And I suppose as we look at it now, we all think we should probably have listened to it a great deal more than we did. And I think Kevin's The wisdom right. of hindsight own. I suppose as somebody who's a lifelong Sinead O'Connor fan, um, bought her first album in 1987 in December when it was, when it was released. The, the first thing is we, we have to acknowledge an incredible musical talent. At the age of 21, she wrote and produced an album of exceptional brilliance, uh, uh, an album that had an enormous influence on Irish music afterwards. And she went on throughout her musical career to produce music across a range of genres with a whole range of other talents. Uh, and she is one of the greatest, not just uh, uh, women singer-songwriters and women musicians, one of the greatest Irish musicians of the 20th and 21st century. Uh, and I think it is a good thing that people are acknowledging that because, yeah, there are some people who are eulogising her this week 
who probably weren't when she was alive, but there's millions of people around the world who are listening to her music, going to her concerts uh, and love that music. But the other thing is, not only was she an outspoken uh, uh, political and social voice, but she did it on issues and at a time when there were real risks, real risks to her career, to her well-being. And in acknowledging that, what she did was created the space, Mary Coughlin is the same, for so many others, people like me and lots of others who were then able to come after her and say similar things and not have to take the same heat and the same risk. So she broke all of that ground for an entire generation, particularly of young women, but also of men. And many of the changes that have happened in Irish society, which now are mainstream and everybody accepts, those trailblazers, and I use that word uh, uh, very consciously, they took enormous risks to create Indeed. the space for the change that subsequently happened. And therefore, not only is she one All of the right. great in, musical talents of the 20th and 21st century, she's a really important political and social yeah, voice as well. One of the issues that she addressed was mental health and the mental health of young people. And CAMS is, if Sinead is the story of the week, the scandal of the week is CAMS. Yeah, it really is. And it, it's it's actually one of the scandals of our time, Pat, to be honest. But it's, it's, it's very hard to get people to engage in it in the same way they'll engage in an RTE scandal, for example. Mm. Um, and maybe that's because it's so grim and we don't want to depress ourselves by looking at the facts and figures around it. But four and a half thousand kids on a waiting list for mental health services in this country. Again, this is not a new problem. We get these reports every year and they continue. And the reality is that some of those kids will survive that. Some of those kids will die sadly, through suicide or other problems. Um, And some of those kids will go on to need help in adulthood. So this is actually going to be a problem that will manifest itself into the adult mental health services down the line. This is a major scandal. I mean, the resources aren't there and even recruitment. People don't want to work for CAMS. I think the, the, what Kevin has just said there is the biggest issue for me, the fact that this is creating future problems. It's not even the problem at the moment, which is acute, but the fact that failure to deal with it means that it's going to continue to roll on. And the other thing that has come out from this is the number of children within those services who have made complaints about inappropriate sexual contact who have not had those complaints dealt with. There's a combination of issues in, for children in care here that has mm-hmm. to be dealt with. Now, I heard a call for a billion euro further investment in terms of, of CAMS. I don't have a difficulty with that, but I'm not sure that money is the problem. You mentioned no, recruitment. A bit like housing. The money's there, but yeah. the houses aren't built on. Well, actually, the, the money isn't there. Uh, and if you talk to people who work on the front line, uh, uh, for example, uh, we have Ross Court in my own constituency. Uh, for years, they have been saying they're under-resourced and under- understaffed. And yes, there are big challenges in recruitment at the moment. I don't think it's so much people don't want to work uh, in those services, but uh, uh, people also need to be able to have affordable accommodation and childcare, etc. What I will say is we obviously now have the Commission's report. It's made 49 recommendations uh, uh, from memory. Every single one of those needs to be implemented and implemented speedily because What is this story about? This story is about the child who has to wait two years for a diagnosis. And even after they get that diagnosis, they have to wait a year or two years for counselling, for speech and language therapy, for OT therapy, or for other mental or special needs supports. Some of that is years that you don't get back. If a child, for example, needs speech and language therapy and it's four to five years before they get it, that's life altering. So Barry is right. You're storing up problems for the future. For these children and their families, the problems are now, and what I'd like to see is a cross-party consensus. Uh, uh, we're about to approach budget. We have a surplus. Let's look at those recommendations. Some of them, Barry's right, is about governance, it's about management, it's about retention and recruitment of staff, but it is also about investment in services because I'm in a constituency with very high levels of need and it is impossible 
and has been impossible for not just a few years, for a decade, to get adequate right, counselling and mental health support. We have to leave it there. We need investment in action now. Thank you very much, Kevin Doyle. Thank you very much, Barry Ward. Thank you very much. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.